0: There are so many ways you can support H.U.G. All you have to do is visit our website, com to see how you, too, can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support.
1: I recall thinking, I've got to be strong for Anna. I've got to be tough because she doesn't know exactly what he's going into, not the way I do, and I've just got to be
2: strong and tell her it's going to be okay. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Alex Jaworski and your guest host. My mother, Anna, is usually the host of this program, but for Heart Month, my dad offered to do a special program on Sundays, and we thought it would be interesting for me to interview him for the last episode in this Heart Month miniseries. This is the last of four Heart Dad Sundays, and I'm happy to be talking to my father today. Frank Jaworski is married to Anna Jaworski. Together, they had two sons, my older brother Joey and me. Brent Jaworski is a Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist or CRNA. He's worked a number of jobs over the years and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. He also served as the president of Heart Unite the Globe, a nonprofit organization for the CHD community. It was founded by my parents, my grandfather, Bill C., Sue Dove, and Brenda Vignaroli. Dad also did all of the illustrations for my mother's first book. Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, and for the glossary of The Heart of a Mother. He wrote an essay and the connecting material for the book The Heart of a Father. Frank Jaworski loved traveling, cooking, reading, writing, and playing with his two new dogs, Buck and Chloe. In addition to hearing him on Heart Dad Sundays during Heart Month, February of 2022, he was also my mom's Fun Fact Friday guest. And he and mom made recipes from Amy M. Lee's cookbook, Snow's Kitchen, for Tasty Thursday. Welcome to Heart Dad Funday, Frank Dwarfsky.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here, and it's a delight to talk with you this way, Alex.
2: Well, thank you. Today's show is entitled, The Making of a Heart Dad. So, Dad, I know that early in your marriage to mom, you became a paramedic, and then after a while, you decided to be a nurse. Can you tell me about that decision?
1: Well, Alex, the reason I became a paramedic in the first place is because I was working at a variety of jobs, none of them requiring any extra training, and I was very unsatisfied. I dropped out of college. I'd studied engineering originally, and I really didn't like my work, and I wanted to do something challenging. I did not know then that I would wind up being in a helping profession where I could take care of people in critical situations. I became an EMT, honestly, because it was a very short qualification program, and then I found I liked it so much, I became a paramedic, which is a higher level of skill. But after a while, I decided to become a nurse. So what happened was I had talked to a nurse anesthetist, a CRNA, at the hospital where I worked as a paramedic. And what she did sounded really exciting and really interesting. And I figured the path up was to become a nurse. Well, in the process of getting my nursing degree, we became pregnant with our first son, your brother, Joey. So it kind of put the pressure on me. And it's a good thing I had started to become a nurse because I wasn't going to be able to support the family on the paramedic salary alone. And your mom would have had to keep working. So I became a nurse just in time that she didn't have to go back to work. And it's led to
2: all that's happened to me since then. I see. So you had a lot of pressure on you when you went from being a husband to being a father. What do you think was the greatest difficulty during that time? Well, the funny thing is that at the time, I don't recall saying to myself, oh, there's
1: a lot of pressure on me. I just recall Mm -hmm. thinking, I really have to do this. I really have to focus on this. And the greatest difficulty I encountered outlook. I hope so. I'm sure I felt the pressure. I just didn't see it that way. I just saw that I had a job in front of me and I had to do it. When I was first married for the first five years of our marriage, being married to your mom was wonderful. And I didn't think much about anything aside from she and I and our relationship and growing that. But once I became a father, like a lot of fathers feel, you realize that it's not just a question of developing the bond with your spouse, but you have to place this new person in your life ahead of everything else. And that's a huge shift for most people to place that focus outside of yourself or outside of your relationship with your wife. And so I really had to become a more selfless person, a less selfish person. That was difficult. And of course, as we said, I also had to go from being a paramedic to being a nurse. And I recall the last step in completing my education before I could take my licensure exam was a test that I had to take, three-day-long clinical test in California. Mm -hmm. And I recall visualizing success. They talk about doing that. I never done it quite that way before. I visualized yeah. the experience of calling mom at the end of the test and telling her I passed. And what actually happened was I did pass and got to make that phone call. It was very, very satisfying. Awesome. Oh, and one more thing was that yeah, even after I passed the test and then got my nursing license, you also have to pass your nursing boards, oh. the, the examination for the certification. And at that time. The way it worked, because this is before computerized testing, you would finish your degree and you'd get the status of being a graduate nurse, a GN. You weren't really a registered nurse yet. You could work as a registered nurse, but it was under the fact that you had to take your nursing boards on the earliest possible date and then Mm -hmm. pass them. And then you became an RN, a registered nurse. So Mm -hmm. I finished my program in January of that year and immediately got a job as an emergency room nurse in one hospital full-time and part-time in another hospital and worked my brains out and studied. And then in June, I took my nursing boards. Well, I'd been working for close to six months already. And I was very happy and satisfied with being a nurse. And I really didn't want to not be a nurse anymore. So I went and took the boards. And I was one of the last groups that took them actually in person. So a couple of thousand Mm -hmm. people who were trying for their registered nurse certification showed up in Austin. We spent two days, a four-hour session, morning and afternoon, two different days in a row taking paper and pencil tests on the Scantron sheets, the multiple right. choice questions. And wow, it was pretty stressful. Yeah. And so I finished that and I went back home and it takes weeks to get your results back. And I kept working uh, you,
2: really, really yeah, hard. Yeah, we going to say probably had to go back to work, but didn't know if you'd sure. be able to stay at it. Exactly. And one of the, the reasons I had worked back. really hard
1: was I thought to myself, well, what if I don't pass? Holy cow, I have to have some money saved up so I can retake the mm-hmm. test. And so I worked and worked and worked. And there was one day where I had worked a double two eight hour shifts back to back. And nice. I was so tired, I didn't feel like I could drive home safely. And work was a half an hour from the house. So mm-hmm. mom put Joey in the car seat and drove to work and got me, brought me home. And I slept in the back seat all the way home. We stopped at the post office just a quarter mile from the house and we picked up the mail. And I was asleep in the back seat. And your mom woke me up and showed me the letter and said, Hey, you got your results back. And I opened it up and read it. And it's like, Hey, I passed. Wonderful. Then she drove home and I went into the house and lay down and slept for eight hours. And my yeah. God, eight hours. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the eight hours, I woke up and turned to your mom and I said, Did I dream that I passed my boards? <laughs> or did <laughs> I really pass them? She says, No, you really passed. So that was stressful, but a, a huge success,
2: a feeling of success when we got to that point. That's cool. That's really cool. All right. Going from husband to dad is a huge adjustment same as it sounds like going from paramedic to nurse. So how much of an adjustment was it to go from being just Joey's dad to having two children?
1: Well, that's interesting because when you were born at first, we didn't know you had a heart problem. Now
2: there
1: Mm -hmm. there were were signs there were problems, but it was about eight weeks before we really realized there was a problem we had to address. So I went from having one child to having two children. And it didn't really change my workload because I was working as hard as I could. To support everybody and uh, thinking about becoming a nurse anesthetist, but not there yet. Working on my bachelor's degree, working on lots and lots of hours of work. And it just meant that when I came home, I had two kids and Joey was a great big brother. He tried to help your mom take care of you. And your mom was taking care of you pretty intensively because you weren't feeding well and you mm. were sleeping too much in some ways. And mm. so we did the best we could. And again, it's like with becoming a father in the first place. I didn't feel extra pressure. I just felt like We've got to make this work somehow. And you and Joey were just the center of our world. And we didn't do much aside from take care of you guys and work. It was a good adjustment. I wouldn't say it was a big adjustment in some ways. Yeah, but it didn't feel like a big adjustment. It just felt like, great, I have two sons now. And I was
0: very happy. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
3: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
2: Before the break, we learned a little bit about you going from paramedic to nurse and husband to father. So here, let's talk about actually becoming a heart dad. You already said that it took a little while. You said you took about eight weeks. Before you realized just what was going on with me. So, can you talk about that time when my heart defect was diagnosed?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Alex, the minute you were born, I did not have a lot of pediatric experience, though I had seen a lot of kids in the ER and some in the ICU. But my first impression was based on the kids I'd seen before and based on Joey before you, was that you were breathing too fast. And that Mm. didn't sound right to me. I didn't know what it implied, but. I immediately turned to the doctor and said, he's breathing too fast. And she pushed it away and said, there is a phenomenon called newborn breathing sometimes where in the first couple of days, they seem to struggle and breathe really rapidly in smaller volumes. Mm -hmm. And I accepted what she said, but I didn't feel comfortable about it. And then for two months, we went through breathing with great effort, not feeding well, sleeping all the time. And it just worried me all the time. And I would ask every single person that I knew you know what's going on here? And whenever your mom would come visit me at work and bring you and Joey with her, I would ask doctors and nurses I knew to step aside and look at you and say, what do you think's going on here? I'm worried about it, but pediatrician doesn't seem to be worried. What's going on? And everybody would give me their opinion, but usually they were like, oh, I don't know, but what did your doctor say? And I would say, the doctor said, they're okay. And they would say, well, then go with that. And nobody was really forthcoming and saying, you should be looked at for X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. So what happened was at your eight week checkup, I was actually at work. I was at a special management session for training for unit managers. And your mom called me and said, Hey, we have a problem. Alex has been seen and they want to admit him to the hospital and I need you here. And so I told my boss and he says, just walk away from the session. Just go, go be with your family. And What they told us right away was first they thought you had cystic fibrosis. Then after a little bit of messing around, they finally got a chest x-ray, which in retrospect should have been the very first thing they did. But you got a chest x-ray and your heart was enlarged. And they said, oh, he's got a heart defect. And they did an echo on you and shipped us down to San Antonio. And boy, it was a whirlwind transition from that day overnight to the next day. And and then suddenly you were shipped to San Antonio with mom. And wow, I went from something's wrong with my son, but I'm not sure what it is. And nobody says it's serious to,
2: holy cow, he has a heart problem. He's leaving town. It was a rough time. Yeah. Unfortunately, they probably thought it was like Occam's razor. It's not likely to be something serious. There was plenty of other explanations, so they just went with that because it was simpler. Absolutely. It made sense, but yeah. Yeah. It's lucky that it did get diagnosed.
1: Yeah. And well, one of the things we were told was that your first son was different from your second son. Don't assume they're going to be the same, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents hear that when their children has a problem. They say, oh, well, you think they're going to be perfect like your first son. He just breathes a little different. Don't worry about it.
2: But nobody really looked at you Mm -hmm. independently as a person yourself. So it was missed for a long time. Gotcha. So I know that when you all went down to San Antonio, mom took me in the ambulance and you stayed behind for a little bit. You had Joey with you. And you had to take care of your job first. So right. what was that like when mom and I left and you had to stay behind for a day or two?
1: It was just that day, I believe. Mom and I had talked about where Joey could go if we were both going to be with you in San Antonio because we didn't know if Joey could be with us or not, if, if that would work out. Right. One of the reasons we chose San Antonio was because your mom had gone to school in San Antonio and she knew the hospital there, doing clinicals mm-hmm. with some patients, and she knew that there was good care there. So when they offered her houston or dallas she said san antonio <laughs> that's <laughs> very typical of your mom you know she wants yes. what she wants <laughs> one of the good reasons we went there also was because me mom and grandpa were living there and they were mm-hmm. great for support for us because we could stay with them oh, and yeah. they make sure we fed and that kind of stuff because we t- were so focused on you we weren't going to
2: take good care of ourselves and they helped us with that right right so From everything i've heard so, they were great during that time
1: they were great during that time And so the first thing I had to do was find some place for Joey to go. And so I called my sister, Susan, to look after Joey, and I took him to her house so she could watch him and talk to my boss. And he said, don't even worry about it. Just go take all the time you need. Don't even call me. Just go take care of him and tell me when he's better. And so, yeah, he's still one of the best bosses I've ever had in my life. And I honor him all the time. His name is Mike Beimer. And Mm -hmm. he was an extremely good nurse and an extremely good manager. And I credit him for so much. That's awesome. But then, but then we had to load you and mom in the ambulance, and I had to say goodbye. And I honestly knew more than your mom did. We didn't know if you were going to survive the trip down there, and you mm-hmm. know because you were not considered to be stable, and so you're shipped down there emergently for surgery. Well, the two or three hours in the ambulance, holy cow, anything could happen. And having worked as a paramedic, I knew that anything could happen. Yeah. But saying goodbye was kind of heart wrenching. It was the first of many times that I had to let you go out of my control, out of my sight, and it wasn't easy.
2: Only so, yeah. When you and mom chose to go to San Antonio, you didn't even know who the surgeon was going to be. So, what was it like for you when you met Dr. Calhoun? Well, I did not work with children in the intensive care
1: unit, or at least not very much, but I did work with surgeons who worked on adults for heart problems. I knew the attitude and the mentality of heart surgeons. I know they were very confident people, they were very focused people, and they should be confident to do the kind of surgery they do. Right. And so when I met Dr. Calhoun, he seemed extremely relaxed, really, really mm. calm. And that's a good thing. Okay. And I know because I've met a lot of doctors who work in difficult conditions and I've worked mm-hmm. with a lot of nurses who work under difficult conditions. And the ones who get wired up and excited don't do the best work. People that mm-hmm. can just take a deep breath and do the work, they seem to accomplish things better and they focus better. And so it was very reassuring to meet him. And I really didn't know his credentials, but he was the pediatric heart surgeon we had. So when we met him, we put a lot on him and turned to him and said, tell us what's going on. Because what happened was the first day you were there, you had a heart cath, which gave us a definitive answer to what was happening with your heart. We'd had a echocardiogram in Temple, but that only gave us generalities. We knew it was left-sided defect. We knew there was an aortic stricture, but to get the real deal, we had to have the heart cath. So Dr. Calhoun worked with you and the cardiologist. And so in the process of letting us know what was going on, Dr. Calhoun showed us some diagrams. He had some set diagrams and some open diagrams that he could add things to. And he showed us what a normal heart should look like, and which I knew. Mm-hmm. And he showed us what your heart looked like, which kind of horrified me because there were <laughs> all kinds of things going on. And it's, I, funny I, I, it's funny now. Buddy. It's funny now, but It's funny now, but at the time I thought, holy cow, we're in trouble. But he was very reassuring. He seemed confident he could do something for you. Cool.
0: This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
3: Before
2: the break, we were talking about the beginning of your journey as a heart dad. In this segment, I'd like to talk to you about handing me off to the surgeon from my first surgery and what advice you have for others. So let's start by talking about that first surgery. What was it like for you when you and mom made the decision for me to have my first open heart surgery?
1: Well, honestly, from our point of view, it didn't feel like it was really a decision. The options were very few. The options were to have the surgery, do the best we could, and then the other option was to not do anything and do what they called compassionate care. The reasoning of that option is that the babies, you know, if you put them into this pipeline, all the things they're going to go through, they're going to go through surgeries, they're going to go through catheterizations, they're going to go through complications, and it's going to be a hard life. It's not terrible, but there's going to be moments when it's scary and painful for the child and for the parents too. Mm -hmm. So, There are some people who choose not to have surgery. Take the child home, love them, and they will die within a very short time because the heart can't compensate for very long. Mm -hmm. And that just wasn't an option for us. We wanted to give you every fighting chance we could. And so the other option is a possibility if you had been more stable would be to try for a transplant, but that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, transplant was not an option because you weren't stable enough to last that long. They couldn't list Mm -hmm. you. And so what we did was we said to ourselves okay, there's no question we're going to do this. As soon as we could do it, because you were cast on Friday, as soon as we could do it was the following Monday. And when they stated the reasons for that, I wonder if to some degree your mom and your grandparents didn't really get the reasoning, but they said they wanted to have their best team there. Maybe they did get it, I don't know. But for me personally, I have seen that kind of thing and having the right people that you're used to working with all the time where everything is smooth and the cooperation is good and the skills are well-known amongst all the team members makes an enormous difference for success or failure. Mm -hmm. So when Calhoun said that he wanted you to wait till Monday for your surgery, I thought two things. First of all, he's going to give you the best chance. And two, he thinks you're stable enough to make it to Monday. So I thought that was a good thing. And then, of course, I I said before that we had more than one occasion in your life when we had to pass you off to somebody else. The ambulance was one kind of scary. Passing after surgery was a whole different kind of thing because I had witnessed heart surgery. I'd watched it happen, and I'd seen patients come back from heart surgery, and I knew what they were going to do. I knew they were going to cut open your chest, work on your heart. I didn't know how it differed for children versus adults, but I'd seen it with adults. I knew you'd come back with tubes, both to administer medication to drain off fluids, wires of various kinds, mm-hmm. but again, different for adult surgeries. So I was pretty terrified, and we had to basically kiss you goodbye and have them roll you out the door to go to surgery. It it was a scary feeling. I talked to a lady that I work with recently about the fact that her husband died last year. He was young. He was Mm. 40 years old. And she said she came home afterwards, after everything had been settled and he was dead and they knew there was no bringing him back. And her friends brought her home to rest and try to refigure what they were going to do. And she walked into the house and she just collapsed because she came to this place. She was used to being with him and she fell out because he wasn't there anymore. And when we mm-hmm. passed you off to the surgeons and walked down the hallway, we had spent nine months of gestation and two months of living with you, with you being a part of our lives, close to us, inside mom's body, in our arms all the time. And now you were gone from our presence and there was nothing we could do. And we knew you were going to go into one of the scary situations we could imagine. I recall thinking, I've got to be strong for Anna. I've got to be tough because She doesn't know exactly what he's going into, not the way I do. And I've just got to be strong and tell her it's going to be okay. There's a lot of times in my life I've said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. That was one of those times. At that point, that was one of the hardest things I'd ever done.
2: Wow. Okay. So while I was in the hospital and while you were waiting for my surgery to be finished and then recovery and all of that, what kind of support did you have?
1: Well, we had really good support, actually. First of all, the surgeon and the nurses and the other doctors there because it's a training hospital, so we had residents and fellows and other doctors there, Mm -hmm. they were good at communicating with us because they knew that we were smart people and we wanted to know what was going on. I've dealt with a lot of patients before who've had surgery or their kids have had surgery and they really didn't know what was happening. We wanted to know everything. And so they told us, they educated us, and that gave us some reassurance to have an idea of what's going on. Dr. Calhoun would come by the ICU in the mornings early in the morning, five or six o'clock when I was there. And he would bring up the morning x-rays and he would look at them and ask me to look at them with him. And he would explain to me Mm -hmm. what was going on. I knew chest x-rays well enough to have some idea what he was talking about. And so that kind of support in the hospital meant a great deal to us. And then in addition to that, we were staying with me, mom, and grandpa. And that was great because they allowed us to do what we needed to do, which was to have one of us with you at all times while you're in the ICU, mom and I would take shifts and we would sleep at their house and boy, it was tough, but we did our best and we were there with you all we possibly could be. First of all, it's no problem keeping me fed because my body says you're going to eat something, but your <laughs> mom has a habit under stress of not eating. And so her mom made sure she got good food. Yeah. And that was a good thing too. And then in addition, my sister, Susan, watching Joey, when you were in the hospital, We could call her up and ask her how things were going and talk to Joey. And it reassured him and it reassured us that he was doing okay. In addition to the rest of the support from the hospital staff and the family, another member of the family was your mom's sister, Chrissy. And her daughter, Megan, who was the same age as Joey, was in daycare at the time. And she arranged to have Joey go with Megan to daycare because Aunt Susan couldn't stay with Joey all the time. And it helped out to have Joey with Aunt Susan and her daughter, Rachel, who was also Joey's age, and and be with Aunt Chrissy and with Megan. And so it helped to give him a good distraction and a really good support system for him back home. And we really appreciated her making that effort to take care of him too. It did. For
2: our peace of mind, at the very least.
1: With so many things out of our control, that little bit of control helped a lot. Yes,
2: it did. Yeah. So what advice do you have for other heart dads regarding the giving and receiving of support while their baby is undergoing open-heart surgery.
1: Well, when they're actually having surgery, there's a weird thing that happens when somebody that you love is in surgery or in a procedure and you're just waiting. There's this suspension of everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll distract yourself. You'll read a magazine. You'll talk to people, whatever you can to distract yourself. You go get food or something like that, but you have even less control in some ways. It's like somebody else has taken that person's life literally in their hands So that loss of control is very tough to deal with. And what I would say is you can't take care of the person who is undergoing the surgery at that time. And since you can't do anything for them and you can't communicate with the care team, what you have to do is turn to focus on the people you're with. So if you're with your spouse or your partner, turn to that person and give them the care they need. Ask them if there's anything you can do for them. Get them some coffee, get them some food, get them a pillow or a blanket. Waiting areas can be very cold sometimes. Do small things to help give support. Then after they're out of surgery, do everything you can. Just spend the time you have to with your child, with the people that are taking care of your child also. And make sure that your partner knows that when they're not there, that you are with them and you'll take care of them just like they would if they were there. The essence of the situation is that you've lost control of things. And what you Mm -hmm. try to do is control the things that you can You give support in small ways and you get reassurance and you ask questions and listen to the answers. And that's what worked for me. That's what worked for us. And so for other heart dads out there, all I can say is don't try to do too much. Don't try to solve everything, but communicate with people, give them what you can. Most importantly,
2: be there for them. Mm -hmm. So what do you think was the most helpful thing that you did for mom in all that time?
1: Well, you're almost going through a lot of stress because one thing, she'd been breastfeeding you. And so you had to stop that because you were in the hospital, Mm -hmm. you were on a ventilator, you couldn't breastfeed. And so she was pumping breast milk every chance she could. And when she would let me be there to help with her, I would try to help with her just to calm her and distract her because when she was stressed, she wouldn't let down to give the milk. Mm -hmm. And so I would do whatever I could. I don't recall everything that happened at that time. So these are some of the memories that I'm pulling out. What are the things that I do? Oh, golly. I tried to give her reassurances that I could give her the reassurance that I'd be there with her no matter what, show appreciation for her mom and dad. That's the best I could do. And hang on, just do the best you can. And also for Joey, since Joey was far away from us, the best thing we could do was try to reassure him that we were taking care of you. He was worried Mm. about his little brother and he asked about you all the time. So we told him that you were in the hospital and you were not well yet, but we were taking care of you. And we would let him know everything as it happened. We tried to keep him in touch and put him with people who loved him, which we did, who could take care of him, Aunt Susan and Aunt Chrissy. And that's what we did for Joey.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Dad, for coming on the show and talking to me about what it was like for you to become a heart dad. Uh, Thank you, Alex.
1: It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And maybe I've given you some more insight into things that you didn't know happened when you
2: were too young to know any better. And I really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you. So did I. That is all for this week's episode. Tomorrow is the last special episode for Heart Month, February of 2022. The last Medical Monday episode features Greg Hummer, who will be sharing what devices are available for people who are experiencing heart failure. Don't forget to check it out. And remember, my friends, you are not
3: alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have become inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.